So, what is God saying to the church? What is God saying to the church? I'm hearing, as I look, and we'll talk later about how we hear, or some of the ways in which God um, speaks to us in terms of, let's say, events in the world. What I'm seeing and hearing in the world is, uh, as I mentioned last night, increasing polarization. There is what Jesus predicted in Matthew 24, which is the rise of nationalism, the breaking apart of global, global alliances, starting with the Soviet Union and going to now uh, Brexit and uh, other, other kinds of um, uh, manifestations of nationalism, tribalism. Um, Jesus said that that was going to happen as, as a precursor to the end of the days, is that it's the, it's the birth pangs. These are the birth pangs. Um, the uh, phenomenon some people call global warming, which is really simply the increase of pollution and the breaking down of the normal functions of nature, the creation groaning in travail. The good news is that as that is happening, what is increasing is the power of God to answer the groaning. You know what it says in in Romans, don't you? The groaning is awaiting what? The adoption, the manifestation of the children of God. And what I'm seeing also is that that is increasing. That more and more people are getting it. You know, do you know what the it is? We already have our inheritance. It was prayed last night. It was spoken about. We have what it takes. I hear of Christians all over the place praying for revival. And I keep saying to them, stop praying for it and live it. Because the fact is, revival is here. The revival, I'm pointing to you and I'm saying revival is here. Revival is in the form of the Spirit of God rising, the tide of the Spirit of God rising in the hearts of God's people. And our, our, uh, the lesson we need to learn, the thing we need to grab hold of, is how do I live that out in terms of moving from identity to authority? So we'll spend a little more time thinking about that this morning. The sons and daughters are in the room. And no one is excluded. It needs all of us to manifest the full length and breadth and depth and height of the love of God and of His rule and authority. So, just picking up or starting where we uh, started last night, just to remind ourselves, what is required for us is that we have ears to hear, that we have a receiver, which is essentially a spirit that has been made alive, that we have antennae, which is the, the, the ability to discern, the, the uh, direction finder that puts us in line. That we have the power, which of course is, once again, the life of God within us. And we looked at that in closing last night. And then the tuning in. We need to tune in. And that's a daily and even moment-by-moment process of of asking ourselves in every situation, in every moment, in every day, 
uh, in every exchange with a person, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying? I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm listening. What are you saying? What are you saying to me in this circumstance? How many Christians are you aware of who, when bad things happen, they say this fatalistic, almost superstitious thing? They say, I know that the Lord is trying to teach me something. And I say, really? What? Or people who pray the prayer that goes, if it's your will, Lord, then blah, blah, blah. And I say, you know, the only time we find that prayer in the New Testament, Jesus prayed it when he knew what the will of God was. Not because he didn't know what it was. He didn't go, oh, well, if it be your will, come see, come sa. Let's kind of, you know, whatever. You know, he could have had that t-shirt, whatever. Whatever. That's lazy Christianity. That is the Christianity of passengers, not drivers of the vehicle of the kingdom of God. And God wants us to be the drivers. He wants us to know where we're headed and to know how to negotiate the various obstacles in front of us. So, faith is not fatalism. And this is where we finished up last night. So, any feedback? Anybody, did anybody have a moment to just ask the question, what were the markers for you? What changed that made you, in your person, in your insides, that made you aware, I really have been born again? Anybody? Yes. Peace. Wonderful. Command. Miracles. You saw answered prayers. You saw miracles happening. Felt alive. Fantastic. Desire to Isn't that a great one? Desire to serve. Zolani. Forgiveness. You felt forgiven and you forgave others? Both? A love for the word. Hunger for the word. Yes. A desire for God. Desire for Jesus. Jonathan. Ah. Excellent. Two-dimensional became three-dimensional. Love. Perfect. That was mine. That was the one that made me aware. I, lo I, 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 I love people all of a sudden. I went, I, I didn't even want that, let alone ask for it. He messed up my plans. He messed up my plans, guys. God is in the messing up of ambitions business. He's not in the fulfillment of, you know, health, wealth, happiness, and uh, or the death of your enemies. Okay? All right, so... These are, these are some of the markers. So let's move on now to thinking about how Christ moves us or his desire to move us, beginning with identity, which is where we finished last night, understanding ourselves as children of God and all that that means, and then moving us from that to destiny. So 
as we look, we see in, uh, uh, in the beginning, Jesus talks about, my sheep hear my voice. Now, you know what a sheep is, ne? It's a domdung. Are you, you guys don't speak Afrikaans here. Okay. It's a... <laughs> it's a... Um, a sheep is a, is a dumb animal. It's not a, it's not a very intelligent one. You know, dogs are intelligent. Sheep are not. Even cows are better or, or more intelligent than sheep. So sheep, so sheep are, um, are the, the followers of the flock. They kind of just, wherever the rest are going, they go. And they walk those paths in the, in the, um, in the fields because this oak's going this way, I'm going to go too. They don't know why, they just go. There's no, there's no question why and there's no answer to the why uh, for a sheep. But Jesus said, my sheep are going to have, be, uh, be different. They are going to listen to my voice. They're going to hear my voice. They will recognize it. They will love my voice and they will follow. They follow me. I give them eternal life. I take them out of the kraal. It's another word. Sorry for the other part of the population. The kraal. And um, they ta- he takes them out of there into the place of grazing and brings them back again. They go in and out and they find life. And so it's a very um, self-centered identity. The sheep exists for living life, for grazing, and ultimately for yielding its wool to those that would like to fleece it, which is the pastors. So, sorry, oh, sorry. The second thing Jesus says is, my kids love one another. So here, he, what's happening now? Life is starting to manifest itself outwardly. And we heard some of the things about that. Uh, that's the thing about Jesus, you know. When he comes... Into your heart, he brings all his friends with him. And so, suddenly you find yourself like you just wanted to be us, you know, I, me in my small corner and you in yours. Suddenly we find our corner is full of people. People you didn't invite, people you don't like. And then you suddenly find that there's something going on, there's more going on than is going on. And that actually... You start loving them. It's, an in, it's, a, it's a spontaneous realization. So Jesus didn't say, now you must work hard at loving one another. He just said, those who follow me love one another. That's it. Here's a, this is not a thing that you must do to qualify. This is a way to identify whether you're alive or not. My children love one another. See, take your pulse. This is... This is a pulse. If you put your fingers there, you feel something. If you don't feel anything, I've got bad news for you. Okay, that's a pulse. That is telling us that you're alive. And this is one of the markers. But then he goes on and he says, this, it, gets, it, gets, it gets worse. Now, you have a whole lot of moral things that you're going to fulfill. My friends, he says, keep my words. And this is the beginning of the point at which Jesus is saying, this is where you get to not just 
have a changed life, but to change the world. If you abide in me, he says, and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. And then he goes on and he says, this is how people identify my disciples. They bear a whole lot of fruit. And by fruit there, I know that what we want to say is the fruit of the Spirit. But Jesus is there. He's talking about fruit in the form of the world being changed. He's not only talking about personal change. He's talking about changing others. Bringing good news to the world. That's the fruit he's talking about. Um, If someone's got a Bible handy... Will you read the other verses I've got there? 10, 14, and 15, please. John chapter 15. So 7 is the one that I, 7 and 8 are the one that I was just referring to about letting his words abide. And that word abide or remain, it means to be the sap that flows through the veins. It means to infiltrate, to penetrate, to interpenetrate, to kind of mingle on the insides, the words and your soul becoming almost indistinguishable. That's what he is talking about. Okay, 14 and 15, please. 10, 14 and 15. So we become his friends or we are his friends in the process of hanging out and, and liking what he likes and, and, and letting his words become our marching orders. Uh, on a daily basis. You know, Amos 3 verse 3, how shall two walk together unless they are agreed, in agreement, unless they have the same destination in mind, unless they march to the same drumbeat. That's, that's, what, friends, that's what friendship is all about. It's, it's uh, shared goals, shared dreams, shared directions, shared journeys. Uh, lots of Time talking to one another and encouraging one another along the, 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 the way. I mustn't spend too much time on these because I'm going to get into big trouble. My workers, he says, share my pain. Uh-oh. And my power. John 15, 18 to 21. Someone read that for us nice and loud, please. 15, 18 to 21. That's it. To 21? Okay. So, so it's, um, what Jesus is talking about there is that not only will you, have, will you keep in step with him, but that that will put you out of step with the rest of the world. That he, and he uses the strong word. He says they'll hate you. You will be a rebuke to the way they think and speak and live. Behave. So it's, it, it, it's important for us to understand before that. And then he speaks about the fact that, uh, by the way, this is also going to be along the lines of, I'm go- you're going to be doing the things that my father gave me to do, and that's part of the reason why the world is going to hate you. So you are going to experience the upside and the downside of being a follower. The upside being, you get to share in my works. The downside being the world is going to hate you for it. They'll never understand you. Now, 
again, by the world, he's speaking about an overall, an overarching system. He's not talking about individuals. So don't, get, don't read this to mean that you are going to be, um, you know, that we're holding the fort against the barbarians. That, that uh, you know, they don't like us, they don't like our gospel. That's not true. Because every person in this world is a soul who recognizes the need and, and has that hunger. It's dormant, it's latent, but it's there. I, when I think about the world, I think about Legion. Do you remember Legion? The guy Jesus called Legion because he was possessed of many devils. And it says of Legion that he was hiding in the tombs, among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus landing on the beach, the man is running towards Jesus because he sees possibility of freedom. The man is running and the demons are crying out, leave us alone, leave us alone. What have you got to do with us? Leave us alone. You see, and that's the way the world is. The world has got a principle. There are principalities and powers that control the thinking of this age. And, so, and, and those are screaming out against you and saying, you stupid, leave us alone, stop talking to us, shut up. But the people are running toward the place of hope that the church represents. And so you're always going to be in that kind of, of uh, dilemma. And the last thing Jesus says here is, my subjects are aliens. John 18, uh, read that for us, 36 and 37. Mm. So he's speaking about subjects. He's, he's saying um, the agenda they follow is not, a, is not set. The setting of this agenda is not this age and its ways and things and dun and lata, you know. Sorry, I'm using another foreign word. Um, uh, it, it's, it's got to do with a different kingdom that is invading this one. And so Jesus is saying, my, my, my subjects will fight, and they will fight for another agenda. Not the one to deliver me out of your hand physically now, because actually my death is going to accomplish that agenda the agenda of that kingdom. And so he's saying, in the situation, my subjects will get to know which of the two agendas is at play here and how do we defend or promote the one of the age that is not of this world or the kingdom that is not of this world. So, moving on, we'll come back to some of those in a, in a later stage. But do you see the progression from sheep to soldiers, sheep to heirs? The, my, my kingdom, the thing that, that I'm going to leave to my su subjects is a kingdom, an inheritance of rulership and authority and, and, and life and hope and light for the world in which they live. So Jesus speaks in, um, or rather the Bible speaks in Hebrews chapter 6 about the Holy Spirit being the power of the age to come. Once you have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have become sharers of the Holy Spirit, 
who have tasted the goodness of God's word and the powers of the coming age. Now, all of those are parallel phrases. They're all saying the same thing. The, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the heavenly gift, uh, the goodness of God's word, and the powers of the age to come are all saying the same thing. The kingdom comes in the form of the Holy Spirit entering the life of a believer, and it gives you a taste of the future. Do you know that when you worship God, you are speaking about a future reality? Although God is king, he, one day he will be fully king. And we announce that before the time. Although God will bring everything into subjection, submission to his name, to the name of Jesus, we are the ones who are in adva- the advance party who are saying, Jesus is Lord. Doesn't look like it, but Jesus is Lord. Oh, sorry, we're a little ahead of it, Mandy. Go back, 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 go back to the other slide. Back. Again, and again. Oh, sorry. The slide is obviously hidden. This is my secret knowledge. So you can just write this down. Hebrews 6, 4, and 5. Um, and, uh, and then you can, you can write um, John 1, 12, which is, to those who believed in his name, he gave authority to become children of God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, for we are God's co-workers. And then... 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, so we are ambassadors for Christ. So three, three things. You're a child of God, you're a fellow worker with Christ, and you're an ambassador for Christ. And of course, once again, you can see a progression there. He, he starts out telling you, there, there, you're my kids. Come here, let me cuddle you. Let's have a, let's have a snuggle. Our little, our little grandson, Ben. He comes into the room and he runs up and he says, I need to nuggle you, Pappy. He doesn't say his S's. I need to nuggle you. And, and uh, sometimes that's all that Jesus wants. He says, come and have a nuggle. And then other times he says, okay, now that the nuggling is over, here's your job for the day. And you become a fellow worker with him. He gives you your orders, your marching orders for the day, and, and then he says, okay, and not only does he give you these things, you see, the child has the senses to be able to enjoy the powers of the age to come, enjoy the cuddle, enjoy the, um, the smells and the fragrances and the, and the tastes and the, and the feelings of what the kingdom of God is all about. But then beyond that, you also get the equipment to do, to do what he gives you to do. So, for example, the Holy Spirit is the power by which you will be witnesses. The job of the church and the ministries in the church is to equip the saints to be the workers, to do the job. And, of course, ambassadors are people who speak on behalf of a government that is unseen. So ambassadors, uh, what, what was that thing that we learned in English? Um, 
An ambassador is someone who lies overseas for the sake of his government. <laughs> I think that's irony. That's an example of irony. Um, but uh, ambassadors are people who have been conferred an authority to speak on behalf of. And so... There are sensors, there is equipment, and there is authority. Okay, so now we go to that where you... Oh, you did find it. Well done. Well done. Let's move on to the next one then. No, forward. Ah, there we go. So this is familiar. This is what we did, I think, a couple of times ago that I was here about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a... um, a, a, a phrase that is used speaking about the age to come. It says the, 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 that life will be lived, life will co- go on a continuum from creation until a moment when the day of the Lord will come. And the day of the Lord will interrupt the powers of this age, this present evil age, and bring about an elevation of everything. Bring about a transformation of everything. Bring about the rule of God. And the rule of God... Whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. The rule of God is like this, this basket that the prophets, for which the prophets used the, phrase, the word shalom. Shalom being the, uh, the following. Provision of all your... Uh, supplying of all your needs. Health, deliverance from every demonic force. Um, healing, I, I, uh, I said health there, healing as well of all your diseases, the resurrection of the dead, the, in summary, the life of the age to come. You see, zoe aonias is the phrase that is used when Jesus says you will have eternal life. Ionias. And, and it is the, a, the, the life, zoe, of the age. So he's saying, when Jesus comes into your life, you do not only get born again, you receive the life that is going to be manifest fully in the kingdom of God, in the age to come. You receive the life of the age to come now. You are now living what everybody else has to wait for the future to live. That's the thing that is coursing through your veins. It's the life of the age to come. So it contains all of those things. So the prophets saw all of this. They said, it's coming, it's coming. The age to come is coming. Isaiah prophesied great things about it, where the lion will lie down with the lamb and the, and the wilderness will be turned into a garden and all of this, and there will be pools of water where there used to be desert, and even Cape Town will have enough water then, and, and, and there will be a luxuriance, health, prosperity, peace, all of those things. Shalom. So, then God did a thing. The thing that he did was that he backdated it to a couple of thousand years ago when Jesus entered the world. And what did, they, what did the angels say? Peace on earth, goodwill to all those with whom God is pleased. He speaks about, and the government will be upon the shoulder of this baby. And he will... And of the increase of his government and of shalom, there will be no end. And so the baby comes, 
And the baby does some strange things, like he starts healing the sick. He casts out their demons. So you can move along now. He casts out their demons. And ultimately, when he dies, he has a major confrontation with the principalities and powers of darkness. And he says, this is your day. This, there ain't enough room in this here town for you and me. This is a showdown. This is the gunfight at the OK Corral. That's what the cross was. It was where Jesus made a public display and shamed principalities and powers, disarmed them completely, and told them, I'm taking over. That's the cross. And the proof that it was effective was that three days later, he came out of that tomb. And what does it say in Romans chapter 1, verse 4? Christ has been horizoned as Son of God, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. As he rose from the dead, the Father said, he places him on the horizon of history and he says, that's my boy. That's the king. He is the Son of God. And here's the proof. And so all of history points toward it. Every, every uh, work of the Holy Spirit points toward it. Every spiritual gift is supposed to be saying this, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the message. That's the announcement and that's the demonstration of the kingdom of God. So then, of course, came Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church and the powers of the age to come are now not only contained in Jesus, but now are given to his followers. That power is now resident in the life of every believer. And then we have what is called the church age. So we live in this situation. We, we have a situation. Houston, we have a problem. The problem is this. We have the power of the age to come, but we don't yet have the full right to demonstrate the power of the age to come. It happens slowly by slowly, as my Ugandan friend says. Slowly by slowly. It happens from occasion to occasion. It happens when there is breakthrough in my life. It happens when there is breakthrough through my life to someone else. The kingdom of God is advancing. What does Jesus say? The kingdom of God is advancing, forcefully advancing, and the, and the, and the uh, uh, violent take it by force. Violent people take it by force. What he meant was forceful. It's forcefully advancing, and you've got to be as forceful in the taking as he is in the giving. So, in other words, this is not floating to heaven on an inner spring mattress drinking Coca-Cola. This is taking hold of the future and bringing it crashing into the present. Thank you. The difference is we are not the ones who get to say how and when that happens. He's the king and we ain't. That, that's a very important thing to remember when it comes to the kingdom of God. Who is the king and who isn't? We are the servants of the king. We are those who get to every so often participate with him. He passes the gift into your hand and you pass it on to someone. And he's the only one who's supposed to get famous. Not you. The gifts are not ours. The gifts are just passed through us to someone else. And as that happens, a little piece of the future, a little piece of heaven is communicated to earth. 
Okay, so moving on. That's the Christian life. Okay, so, so, so keep this picture in mind as we talk now about what our role is. Let's move on. No, let's move on. Let's move on, let's move on, let's move on. Okay. Uh, this is the... T- Sorry, one back. Authority. Jesus said about... This is where we started yesterday. To those who received him, he gave the authority, the exousia, the right to become the children of God. So I want to just take a moment to understand what authority is. When we use the phrase, and we were told to pray in my name, Jesus said, in my name. It doesn't mean tagging on a line at the end of a prayer that goes in Jesus' name. Although I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that, but that doesn't do what he had in mind. I think what we do by that is that we submit ourselves to the one we are supposed to be representing in, even in praying our prayers. But the phrase, in the name of someone, meant on the authority of. So that's why when you cast out a demon, you don't do it in your own authority. You do it on his authority. You say... Uh, you remember like that, uh, those sons of Sceva when the, 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 they tried to cast the demon out of the guy and he said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Because they said, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Uh, the authority has to be in you. It can't be a rem- by a remote control. So you have to receive the authority and first he must rule in you so that he can rule through you. In, in the broad sense of the word, as well as in the moment-by-moment moment sense of the word. You, you see, for example, let me give you an example. If you walked into a hospital ward today, you went to a hospital ward, and you stood at the door, and you said, in the name of Jesus, let every sickness be healed, every hurting person, all pain, go, and all take up your beds and go home. Would that work? I mean, it would be a remarkable thing if it did, but my experience is that's not how it works. How it works is that on your way to the hospital, you need to be asking him, Lord, what are my orders? How do you want me to pray? Who? Show me who you want me to pray for. And then when I'm with them, give me the prayer to pray. Give me prayers that I may pray. Lord, I don't want to reflect my will, I want to reflect your will, so please show me what it is. When I learned that, my entire ministry changed. Before that, I was the Messiah in motion. I was, uh, I was good news. You know, I had what it, what it takes. I had seen the sick healed. And then I had developed a technique, you see, out of that that one time when I got it right. I listened the first time. I listened. The Lord said, say this. And I said this. And the lady was healed. And it was a brain tumor. And it was remarkable. Changed our church. And so, of course, the next sick person that I came across, guess what I did? The same 
prayer. Let me just find that one. You know, it's like those moments when in church you experience the breaking in of heaven through the worship songs, the worship set. And the next week, the worship leader, Milaine, has taught, confessed this to me, so I know it happens to her too. The next week, the worship leader goes, what were those songs and in what order and what chord did I play to change? You know, they just brought the change in the atmosphere. It's not up to us. It's not up to us. And so the second time I did it, fell flat. Nothing happened. People were terribly disillusioned, including me. And I thought, Lord, I don't think I'll ever pray for a sick person again. And he said, no, you, you will, but only if you listen to me first. Ask me how you should pray. Ask me who you should pray for and how you should pray. This is what I mean by on the authority of. Authority is the legal right to use the power that you have. You have the power, but you can't just go and dispense it willy-nilly. You have, uh, you have to listen to him in order to obtain the legal right to use the power now. You know, like a policeman who has a sidearm. That's power. A, a, a pistol. A seven, uh, seven, what's it? Seven, six, five, whatever that thing. That's, that's power. But he doesn't have the right to pull that thing out and shoot anytime he feels like it. And you know how there are supposed to be laws protecting citizens against police excessive use of force. And there should be the same thing for people against pastors using force unnecessarily. We don't, we don't have the right to just use the power. What we have to do is to say, Lord, how do you want me to dispense the power? And he says, this time... The power is going to be shown in the fact that you break down and weep with those who are weeping. And they will see power in that. Not by commanding, but by identifying. Just different things. It requires that you are authorized, that you get your daily orders. Authority is also something that is conferred of us by a thing called adoption. In Greek society where Paul is writing, Roman, Roman, Greco-Roman society, where Paul is writing to the Romans, he speaks about adoption. And that's sometimes a bit of a puzzle for people. They go, no, I'm not an adopted kid, I'm born again. I'm a born again child of God. Why does it say adopted? Because the, the child who is born in a household still had to have a moment of adoption in Greco-Roman society. Around about when they were 15 the father would take his son into the town square where the elders of the city met. And he would place his son in the middle and he would say, I officially today adopt this boy. He is my legal heir. He has my authority. When he signs something from here forward, it's as though I was signing it. That's what adoption meant. It was a, the conferring, it was a coming of age moment. So when Paul is talking about us being adopted as sons, he's saying, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you, that's God's moment of adopting you. That's God's moment of saying, these are my kids. They get my authority. They get to do on my behalf. When they act, it's as though I was acting. 
Always remembering who's the, who's the boss though, okay? Didn't give that kid the right to go and sign checks willy-nilly. He still was subject to his father's authority, even in the writing of the checks. But when he did that and he signed the check, it, his, his father didn't have to co-sign. It was, he was doing it on his behalf. <clears throat> authority comes in exchange for revelation. You remember the story in Matthew 16 where, Paul, uh, where, where G, uh, Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Pete, you got it. And flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Listen to the important context. He's saying, heaven has broken in to your awareness and you have picked up a little piece of revelatory information, and as you said it, you actually enacted something. And then he says, and I am going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The keys represent authority. Anywhere they're mentioned in the Bible. You can look that up if you want, if you don't believe me. Um, Another way of speaking of this is gnosis, the Greek word gnosis, which means... um, Uh, revealed truth. It's not just truth that you acquire by study, but it is revealed truth. So we have to be, with apologies to my dear friend Derek Morphew, we have to be a little bit Gnostic if we're going to exercise the authority of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? We have to go to God, not just to study information, to get information, but to listen for revelation. So, John 8, 32, you all know the text. You will know the truth, and that word is gnosis, and the truth will make you free. The other form of truth, or the other word for truth is aletheia, and that doesn't use the word there. He uses the word gnosis. Jesus is saying, as you listen to me, as you follow me, as you are a disciple of mine, as you love my words, you will know the truth. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It is given to the wise based on their faithfulness. The words, the term fear of the Lord, it's actually like that. It's a hyphenated phrase in the Bible. Whenever it speaks about the fear of the Lord, it basically means being faithful, uh, even to your own hurt. The fear of the Lord is a reverential awe of God and his right to rule. And when we face bad experiences and we maintain fear of the Lord, we are given wisdom. And uh, so, again, let's not belabor the point. Time, she are coming few. If we suffer with him in faithfulness, 2 Timothy 2 verse 12, if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. We will also have authority in our hands. On his behalf. And lastly, it comes as a, by the acquisition of skill as we exercise ourselves. That's in 2 Timothy 2.12. Um, the Holy Spirit... Are you okay? Can we just do another five minutes? And then we'll take... Are we having coffee and things? Okay. Um, Jesus speaks over John's, John chapters 14 to 16. Uh, he speaks in a number, of, a number of times about 
what's going to happen next. And he says this important thing. He says, it is to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, the other helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is, these are the things that he is going to do. The Father will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, who leads into all truth. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. You'll be seeing me on a daily basis through the promptings of this helper. The Holy Spirit will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The Spirit of truth will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So, I want us to think about the verbs in, the, in all of those texts that refer to what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Um, so we can go to the next slide, and I've, I've just summed them up for time's sake here. We could just go through the texts, and you, will call the, you could call them out. But do go back and have a look at these texts um, later and meditate on what that means and how that you experience that in terms of your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So here they, here they are. The first thing is that he, he will help us. The word parakaleo means to call alongside to help. Uh, and the parakletos, the one who is called alongside to help, is the name Jesus uses most frequently for the Holy Spirit. So he will help you. That means he will support you. He will encourage you. He will walk alongside you. He will stand at your side. He will identify with you. He will defend you. All of those are parts of the word the expression of the, the word help. Second thing is that he will teach. Vivasco, which means to uh, put in mind of, to give information, but give that information in such a way that it becomes yours. It, it's, like, it's like imparting it to you, not just informing you of it. Thirdly, he will remind you, he will bring back to your memory everything that, you, that I have said. Um, my professor at Bible school used to say that often. He used to say, remember, the Holy Spirit only reminds you of what you have already learned. He's not the substitute for learning. <laughs> Some guys used to approach their exams like that, you know. I'm coming to write this exam, and the Lord will tell me what to write. <laughs> Laziness. He will bear witness the word martyria, which is the one found in Acts 1.8, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me. The word martyria, which means to, um, to, to say what we have experienced, to bear witness, to be an eyewitness. He will convict, convict the world. Th that means to not only give the information and to give the information with a sense of force, but in fact... To bring about a sense of emotional connection with that, with that, with that uh, information. So it's not just to say, oh, I realize Jesus is Lord. 
it will cause you to fall on your knees. Uh, that's what conviction does. And it's one of those things that you know in your knower. You know it inside. And you, there's no question about it. He will lead you. He will lead into all truth. And again, that has to do... It's, a, it's one of the words for leadership. Uh, to move, to uh, step to the front and to move toward a goal. And, and uh, f- people follow uh, as a result of that. He will declare an angelo, which means to proclaim. It's a declaration. It's a certain declaration. It's something that has been issued from the throne. And so the uh, angelos, the people who would run to tell, the, to tell the outlying towns and cities what the king has said, um, that was their job, was to stand on a platform and say, Now hear this! Now hear this! And then they would announce the news. And uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit has that force of, of uh, communication in your life. And lastly, and this is something that should kind of paint over every other thing that the Holy Spirit says and does, is that He will glorify me, says Jesus. So here's a test for whether you've heard the Holy Spirit. Does it make Jesus famous? Does it make... You less and Jesus more? Or is it the other way around? Um, There are some people, when they open their mouth and they say their first three words, I go, strike one, two, three, you're out. Because they are replacing Jesus. Because they are making themselves famous at the expense of Jesus. Um, Do not trust those people who say those things. Don't trust them. Don't go there. We don't go there. We don't go there. So, here's a little exercise that you can do. And we'll take a break and you can think about it in between, if you like. At some point, I want you to take each of these things, your life, your family, the church, the community, the region, the nation, the world, and just picture them. Picture your life right now. And ask this question. What's, what's one word that the Holy Spirit is giving me about that? As you think about the church, what is one word that I, that I would sense that the Holy Spirit wants to say through me concerning the church? He wants to share His secrets with us. In fact, let's take a moment. Let's do this now. What about your family? What is a word? There are some of you who are letting the news, the information you're getting at the, at the level of just the ordinary, you're letting that overrule what God is trying to say. Let Him speak. Let him speak about you in the context of this town, of this community. Maybe your neighbor, maybe your neighbors, maybe a person that you see often. 
I once had an occasion when I was on my way to um, California, and in the 24 hours of travel that it involved, I ran across the same guy six times in Johannesburg Airport and then uh, Brussels or someplace and then again in New York and then again in somewhere else and then finally again in Los Angeles. And and it, it took six times. That's how stupid I am. It took me six times before I got... Uh, maybe God wants me to do something here or say something. So I went over and sure enough, that, that was a divine appointment. But, you know, sometimes these things are happening. You're seeing this person. This person is coming across your path over and over again and you're not uh, awake and aware to what is God's agenda here. And then God will speak to us about the region, about your province that is about to become disempowered. <laughs> about the nation. What's going on in South Africa and how should we be responding? What is one word that comes to your mind as you think about your country right now? Holy Spirit, I pray, speak. I pray, come. Make us aware of your heart. Make us aware of how we should see the world. Let us not be guided by the dinner table conversations amongst people who don't know. But Lord, may we receive that gnosis, that inner knowledge, that awareness of the Spirit, that agenda, so that we may know not to fight as those who don't have your agenda, but to speak hope and life as those who have their ear against your heart. Come and speak. Come and speak. And you don't necessarily have to have some word about every one of those, but maybe one or the other has kind of struck you and there's a word. I want you to just note it. Maybe write it down. Note it. And then um, as, you con- as you pray and as we continue through the day, maybe the Lord will unpack more about how you should steward that word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your availability to us. The fact that you come without measure. The fact that you lavish your love upon us. That you pour Christ's love into our hearts. That, Lord, you take those things that belong to Christ, that are about Christ, and you make them known to us. You reveal. You glorify Him. So, Lord, again, we want, to, we want to clean off the antennae of, of uh, receiving your truth. We want to redirect our, our DSTV dish so that we may hear and see better. So I pray, Lord, come. 
encourage, speak, clarify, so that that hope that comes from knowing your truth will be once again increased, turned up in our hearts, that we may be messengers of hope about an age to come.